Hey everyone, welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crowns. This is Tony. With me as always, we have John. Since the last time we've talked, the Kings have gone one and two. Split the back-to-back with the Timberwolves and got absolutely demoralized by the Raptors in their last game at home before the before the trip that they started on Saturday against the Timberwolves. So maybe not the best week we've had in a while, but John, how are we feeling? Well, I think despite that, I mean, it is interesting because the, the Raptors, I mean, you could take solace in the fact that they're a very unique kind of set of personnel in terms of like length and athleticism. They're kind of trying to do or transition into kind of like hardline positionless basketball in terms of who they have out there and the centers they use and whatnot. I mean, Siakam's the starting five and everything. Um, and we saw how that disrupted the offense. And then we saw after pretty much the lowest of the low for the offense, in the next game against the T-Wolves, the first of two, uh, we saw perhaps not the worst of the worst from defense because we've seen worse defense, I think, played before. I think maybe the lowest of the low for the defense might have been that Laker game. 136 <laughs> points allowed is pretty bad. But when you go into a game and you got basically two stars that you got to watch out for in Russell and Edwards, um, and you allow both of them to go off, you allow the team to shoot over 50% and over 45% from three, um, you're not going to win. Um, and on top of that, they were doing... They just looked sluggish in terms of their activity was low. They allowed guys to get deep into the paint, which opened up things for other guys like Gobert and whatnot. It highlighted like the worst things about this defense in terms of like all the things we, you know, anybody that's watching the Kings on a consistent basis knows by now. It just seemed heightened on display. But the reason I say you can't be too worried is the fact that in this most recent game, Similar to the Orlando Magic game that followed that 136 points allowed to the Lakers, they came out and played really good defense. They bounced back. And that kind of opens up an interesting conversation in terms of, like, this team, when they have these moments, like the first T-Wolves game or the Laker game or in the early part of January, um, they have these games where they hit these low lows. And they're... they. They hold themselves accountable. I think it's a lot of it Mike Brown holding his guys accountable. But at the end of the day, those guys have to execute and believe in that and actually hold themselves accountable and respond to that. And this team's responsiveness has been good. I mean, of course, you'd like them to be consistent. But in a real-world scenario where you're building a contender, and this is really the first year of quote-unquote playoff contention, the responsiveness of this team is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point that... At least they are responding, especially after how bad that that defense was on Saturday. They followed up against the same team on Monday and, you know, just looked a lot better defensively. Um, you know, that is a positive that this team has. But it is just frustrating still the inconsistency that they have on defense, as we all know, and, and as you pointed out already. So, yeah, like this is the first season where we are in playoff contention, but... That's why I just I've said it before. It's just like this is not a team built to go deep. Not how it's built right now. Um, just because their their defense just isn't. It's just not good enough. And it's I mean we see glimpses here and there, but until like they can prove, or maybe they will at the like have a late season run where their defense kind of just clicks and they can do it game in game out. But until then, I mean going up with going into a seven game series against any NBA team with their inconsistent defense, 
I mean, it'd be surprising to even get out of the first round at this point. But yeah, I definitely would not be hedging my bets on the Kings winning the Western Conference or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, I think there's a learning curve to winning in the playoffs. Yes. So when the Warriors started their dynasty, they lost <laughs> in the first two years. They learned a lot. Any team will tell you that. Any player will tell you that in terms of getting experience or not getting experience. You know, actually being in that moment, it's 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 hard to replicate that. It's hard to prepare for that. And it's kind of hard to do anything good on that stage until you've done something bad on that stage. So the Kings, of course, are going to have their situations where they're going to be bad and whatnot. And, of course, they're not going to win a championship because of the consistency issues on defense. They would need a late run where they're just surging in the defensive standings late in the year and carry that into the playoffs to have any legitimate chance. As much as we hate to say that, you know, you want to just try to enjoy the moment at this point with what this team's doing. But, of course, I don't think it changes anything about what might happen come playoff time this year. It is like like looking down the road uh, and knowing the path that they're going to have to take that responsiveness, kind of going back to that, like the way this team can kind of respond to adversity or the way it wants to respond to adversity is interesting. I think one of the most interesting stats that was, I think I think Deuce Mason tweeted it. That's where I saw it. Um, maybe others have pointed it out. It's stark. It's interesting that the defensive rating at home is ranked 28th, while the defensive rating on the road is ranked 6th. <laughs> it's so odd. Well, why do you, do you have any... My first initial which, insight yeah. was that the team rests their hat a little bit too much on the home crowd. That's fair. And they kind of like expect things to... Because you hear Mike Brown kind of say that after games. I'd have to pull up an exact example. But there's a few times... Maybe check for the post-game interview after the Charlotte game or something like that. But it's like... he. It's almost like he said something along the lines of like... This crowd is so great. Our home court advantage is so advantageous that uh, sometimes the guys kind of just expect things to happen. Yeah. And that in itself is like the challenges that Mike Brain... Mike, Mike Brain. Mike Brain. That'd be a good name for him. Mike <laughs> yeah. Brain. He's bald. He's just got that big head. Just No matter what you're going to do, you're going to have the optical illusion of a large head. But Mike Brain, Mike Brown, always, you know, challenging his guys. And, that, you know, again, it's like that word responsiveness. Um, it's interesting. And so I just think... <clears throat> It's almost like when the challenge is high, the team does better. So that almost translates to why they would kind of step it up on the road, on the defensive end. And the defensive end is the thing that you need to be conscious of. You know, Mike Brown said that this team was lacking defensive urgency. That is kind of a conscious effort to to kind of have that urgency, or at least to get into a habit where it becomes kind of second nature. I'm looking at the defensive and offensive rating right here. And so on the road, the Kings, like you said, they have the sixth best defensive rating. And surprisingly, only the 14th best offensive rating, which isn't, I mean, they're second in the NBA right now in offensive rating in general. So that is kind of low for them. So it would make sense for the defense have to step up if your offense is kind of going to take a dip on the road. And at home, I'm assuming if their defensive rating is so bad, they must have like one of the best offensive ratings. Yeah. So at home, the Kings have the best home offensive rating in basketball, which makes sense. You know, I mean, I don't know their record at they're 16 and 11 
at home. They're twelve and ten on the road. Yeah, it's crazy. But I think it's the best in the conference. That's what that's what I thought. Too. Twelve and ten is really good for a road record. I know because everybody's like, oh, championship team five hundred on the road. Is that's the the general consensus? But it's like, Jesus. And that kind of not to cut you off from what you're saying, but that sh- no, that goes okay. into that goes into what I was saying. And this, what this, it also just did to know. This team hasn't played a ton of road games. They're playing a bulk of their road games in the stretch that they're just started. So, I don't know. I don't want to get too out ahead about this team is just going to be dominant on the road and respond to adversity. But in the long run, that's a good sign. No, that's a great sign. I mean, especially with the Kings. I mean, it's just the Kings in general. I was going to say, well, you know, they usually don't win on the road. It's like they didn't really win ever. <laughs> Even at home, they were like, you know, it's the Kings. But um, I mean, that's a good sign. Even they're beating, like, I think this year, I think the main goal, other than making play, the playoffs, was beating teams you had to beat. And that's, and you know, that's a game like tonight against San Antonio, a team that's 14 and 37. You kind of got to win that game. So Kind of? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta win it. So it's always it was always frustrating when we lost. Uh, who do we lose to at home? Like back to back games, like Charlotte, Charlotte, and, and the Lakers, right? Yeah, it was the Lakers. And then we beat the Magic. The no, next no, no, no. We beat no, no. We we lost to Charlotte, beat the Lakers, and then then we beat lost the, to Washington. Lost to Washington, and, he got, and then Domas hurt his thumb at the end. Yes, of that one. yeah. So just like losing those kind of games is just frustrating, but. Yeah, I think the the main goal this year is just trying to, um, you know, it's beating those teams you got to beat, and they've done a good job. Uh, they've done a good job at that. I think that's what's reflecting their twelve and ten road record so far. Yeah, like they had that stretch right before Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving. I can't remember when it was exactly where they were playing some good teams, and they had I, they didn't go. Oh, I think they went three and three on that road trip anyway, too. The Thanksgiving one, yeah, that was a three game road trip: Memphis, Atlanta, Boston. Okay, no, what, there was the, a five before one. Christmas. Before Christmas, yeah, that was the sixth game where they went yeah, three and three. They went three and three. In that remember, one. they started off. Uh, three and one, or one and three. Yeah. So, and I think they've beat the teams that they needed to beat on the road. On top of that, like Minnesota, I'm okay splitting Minnesota in the last two games because I mean Minnesota is like 26 and 25, 25 and 25. They're when playing played well. Them. Yeah. They're, it's a it's a team where it's like all right, I'll take one loss. But in back to back games, like you kind of got to split those. So I think they're doing a good job of beating the teams they need to. And that 12 and 10 road record, I think it's reflecting it pretty well. Because I don't, I mean, what's their best road win of the season? Their best road win? Uh, I think that Cleveland one. Probably, yeah. Probably I think that's that when they, that was that You're one right. road trip in December. They lost to Milwaukee, and it was just like, oh, you're going to go into Cleveland. They beat you. You beat them yeah. on your home floor. They're going to really want to beat the hell out of you. And it just felt like they were going to get off to an 0-2 start, you know? Mm-hmm. They went in there, and Fox took the, I think he, he rested that game. I'm yeah, I know you did. He he did rest he, that game. Did he rest two games? Was it that and the I think, next game? I think he only rested one game. So he rested the Cleveland game, and they played really well. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was similar to the first game against Cleveland in that they really just shut down the other team. I think they finished the game on like an insane run against Cleveland. Yes, the, they did. Yeah, if you look at the fourth quarter, you're right. Score. It was it was an insane run. But again, it's just like man, I don't know this team. It just responds. It sounds so stupid. That's such like a fourth grade vocabulary word. <laughs> but it's responsive. And I think when you start looking at 
and to kind of add to that whole like, well, what's really the goal of this season? Part of it is also building that culture and building that team identity. And part of the team identity, I think, is that, you know, stepping up to the challenge. And now that might not get them into the Western Conference Finals or anything like that or beyond the second round of the playoffs or whatever's going to happen. I don't want to get too far ahead <clears throat> of myself or piss too many people off. <laughs> but um, you know what I mean. Yeah. Long run, you look back, you're going to – this is this is this is all part of that – cultivation process same thing that we were saying about a year ago when they got Sabonis you could just see something was different and everything is trending in the right direction in terms of culture I think yeah and culture has been great so far I mean that was something Mike Brown kind of prided himself on and when we um you know we hired or McNair hired Brown it was like all right like the culture's got to shift into the right state of mind at least right so he's done a good job but that kind of you know feels like it's leading to a next point, as in do you trade? I, I see a lot of comments this year, or you know, with the trade deadline approaching in the next couple of weeks, um, a lot of people are like, I see a lot of comments saying, "Don't trade anyone. Like, just let this team ride it out. Like, you don't want to mess up with the chemistry. You don't want to mess the culture up." So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we kind of touched upon that like last week a little bit, and I think the chemistry is important um, in terms of like major moves. Uh, you don't probably want to make any major moves. It seems like right now asking prices are really high. They're, they're well, insanely high. I think like like you look at you look around the league. It's like Miles Turner just got it another. I think he would just get extended with Indiana, so they don't want to trade him. That is what Rick Carlisle is saying, and, and other guys in the organization are saying. Uh, it looks like the Pistons want to hold on to Bogdanovich because they like what he does for the young group as a leader. So, I mean, like, in a way, like, your hands are tied as to, or at least that's the way it appears now. It seems like your hands are tied as to what you want to do. On top of the fact that the Kings, like, don't have a first-round pick to trade, essentially, right now. They don't really have a ton of assets that they'd want to trade. Of course, you can get into the conversation. It's like, oh, of course you don't mind trading Davion Mitchell for OG Ananobi. But it's like, again, even for Ananobi, the asking price is high. And you get deeper into that situation. It's like, are the Raptors going to keep Nick Nurse? Because I guess there's reports about guys not being happy with their roles and stuff like that. That could just be to kind of amp up morales of teams. Like, look, we're going to get Nick Nurse next season. Yeah, I mean, There's all sorts of That's true. working aspects to these reports. But the bottom line is that it almost feels like the chemistry aspect, you just want to hang your hat on that because that's kind of the best you got right now. Mm-hmm. But that does not take away the fact that you still want you kind of have to move homes. Yeah. You, that, that's if, if the trade deadline goes by and you don't move homes, that's an unsuccessful trade deadline. That's fair. And so... It's going to be hard to move, though. <laughs> it's not an easy it's move. It's going to be difficult. I don't know. Um, maybe you have some insights, uh, but it's just like... Just on homes for a second. I'm going to keep on the chemistry thing, of course. But it's like... Um, can they... It, like, in... Other sports, you can eat part of the deal. Can you do that in the NBA? I don't know. It's a good question. They, if that's if that's how it works, and if I feel like I'm pleading feel, some ignorance here, asking, I but. feel like that might happen. I feel like that happened with the Kawhi trade to Toronto, and mm. San Antonio was paying him. I'm not mm. positive, but I feel like like or at least you can take part of the, the dead cap yeah. or something. Or uh, that's probably wouldn't be the right use of dead cap, but you take the cap hit. Um, <laughs> here's your Kings insider. Yeah. <laughs> cap City Crown. 
for your look at the Sacramento Kings and the greater NBA. <laughs> um, but anyways, to kind of the, there's going to be moves. Obviously, there's other supplementary moves, but at its core, the core is going to kind of stay the same. Unless yeah. you're adding like uh, maybe a backup center or kind of a wing guy, something to bolster that area, which we'll talk about in a second. Like, I don't think anything major is going to happen. Um, no, I mean, you, you'd have to be crazy to think that the Kings are going to get their third star. I think the Kings are their third big player away from being a legit team in the NBA. Like a legit, like, okay, this team can go out and fight for a title. So I think they're really good. I think what they have at this very moment is a really good core. But they're just like one big name away from really like, you know, oh, man, mm-hmm. this could be a title contender. But do not expect to get that guy this year. They do, first off, where? Without trading someone in your core. Like, where, where are you going to get that from? Unless McNair just pulls something out of his ass. Like, yeah. you're not. Like, you don't have any first-rounders to trade. And you don't, I mean, like, like Harrison Barnes is your one big trade piece. Like, you kind of want to extend him at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky. And also, it's just like, in terms of like, liking what you have part of the reason you can really like what you have and like what you have for the next couple of years is like you have Keegan Murray on a rookie deal. Yeah. Davion Mitchell on a rookie deal. Like those guys are big pieces to the team. And, and they could, you know, like maybe Murray becomes that third guy. I was going to get to that. I was going to ask how far away do you think? Cause I think Murray definitely has the potential to be that guy. The question is of how soon. I always say your third year, right? The rookie year is your rookie year. And he's playing really good as a rookie. He just got named to the Rising Star game yesterday, today for us. <laughs> um, um, he won Rookie of the Month in December. I, he has a good chance of winning it for January. He's just playing incredible. You, you can argue that he's been our best three-point shooter this year. Like, Herter started off hot, but Murray has. He had a, a bad November or whatever, but he's been pretty consistent since it's like 50, since 50. December. is it gonna go on or not go on which is crazy it, yeah <laughs> and I, every time he shoots a three i'm like all right it's a good shot it's a good look he's been incredible but sophomore slump is a thing I'm not saying everyone has it but it's just i don't know it's always hard to put all your marbles into a sophomore uh but in that third year i feel like that's when players really start breaking out and and i mean i'm trying to think of examples off the top of my head but I don't know. Well, that's definitely a thing that you're not pulling that out of your ass. The, no. the third thing, the third year in the sophomore slump, definitely. But I would almost be tempted to be like, if anybody's going to avoid a sophomore slump, it's going to be Keegan Murray. Because his dad points it out to him and has and it's been pointed out to others that this guy just constantly improves. Every year, like, you know, his um, uh, first year of college, it's backed up by his second year. I mean, uh, he talked about what was the text he sent him when he was going through the the slump. It was like, remember how you started as a shooter, like in high school and how you just got better and how you struggled your first year in college and you just got better. It's like, this guy kind of has a track record of just improving. Yeah. Um, now, granted, the NBA is crazy. You never know what can happen. You don't want to like start talking about a guy as if he's endowed with godly skills or anything like that, that he's better than everybody else. I don't want to go that far, but it's just like, I don't know, Keegan Murray, like, you're not really kidding yourself if you're trying to make that argument. Now, that kind of goes back to the question, can he be a star, you know, in yeah. the second season? That, it's hard to... 
It's hard to imagine yeah. it just because, I mean, I like Murray a lot and he's been good in the role he's given, but his role is very limited still. I mean, he's a spot up shooter or catch and shoot guy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I heard he has good post moves and everything. We've kind of seen him create his own shot here and there, especially with that floater he has. But like, until I can really see like what he can offer in creating his own shot in the NBA, like it's hard to, I don't know. It's hard to imagine him taking that next step. And of course, it's going to come with time. And he's a rookie. And this is what we need from the rookie this year. And he's doing an exceptional job at that. He's doing so well. So until we really start seeing him... And it's not him. It's 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 the game plan, and which you got to respect for it. He's staying within the game plan, doing well. But um, I don't. Know. I just don't see him down in the post. I heard he has super good post moves, but it's like yeah, that was supposed to be the difference between <laughs> him and his brother. His brother's the great outside shooter. I'm like, are, is there pulling our legs? Is this Chris Murray we've been seeing for you know however long? Um, but I think you have a good point in terms of like most of his rookie season, him going at the basket, not only was he not super successful at it, but he was not wholeheartedly into it, it seems like. Only until yeah. kind of over the last month or two has he really looked confident going to the rim. But again, it's all about that constant process for this guy. You've seen him just affect the game in so many ways. We pointed it out in December. Like That guy's jolt of, of uh, production on the defensive end, the things he was doing – getting more charge calls, getting more weak side steals, um, all sorts of things on ball, kind of versatility was shining through. Of course, he's had his setbacks here and there, and he's not like perfect on defense, but man, you can see how much he's getting better. Again, it's like, is he going to come out and be an MVP candidate next season? <laughs> no. But it's like, can I see this guy, this team makes the playoffs next year, and Keegan Murray gets on a roll late in the year, and just really puts himself on the map? In that second playoff year, that, or that second season playoffs, that's where a lot of guys build that, their name. That's a great point. I remember Draymond C. J. Green. McCollum too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't let you finish. But I was gonna, I was gonna say it's not the same thing because they're different players. They have different roles and all that. But in a way, Draymond Green, it was his second season. It was his first real time being the starter, and it was that series they lost against the Clippers and. All you could feel when you saw the Warriors, like if you were watching that series, if you watched the Warriors late down the stretch, it was like, oh, they have kind of a special power forward in that it's different. It's innovative, small defender, uh, really great defender, great passer, the heart and soul, the team type thing. And that's completely different from Keegan Murray, like (laughs) in a lot of ways. But in that's the, not the point. But yeah. in the same way, that ascendance in the big moment, and uh, now we're getting really down the road. Well, it's not, but it's like, oh yeah, we are. But that's still, <laughs> that's still, it still kind of goes. That still sticks to what I'm saying is like, oh, it's going to be the third year. I still think he's going to get started on it early. He just seems like he's, I don't know, he's just got that upward trajectory. It may not be the fast. It's not like he's exploding off the page like maybe Paolo Bancaro is or something like that. It's like when you watch Keegan Murray every game, it's like you can see he's getting more comfortable. You can see he's finding other ways to impact the game. You can see he's getting more confident in what he's able to do. And then every, it's just, if I'm opposing defenses, I'm scared of Keegan Murray. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it is nice. I mean, what McNair's done incredibly as the GM, he's just drafted very mature, like, Guys who just seem like they've been pros forever. And I guess Mitchell kind of doesn't fit the mold as much as Halbert and Murray. But, I mean, 
He's a, a workhorse. Yeah, in the gym. He's all a workhorse. We just both said. <laughs> yeah, he's a workhorse, and he's a guy who's gonna know his role and do what he's got to do. More of a bull, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that dude, an ox. That dude, I, I think, I think it's a little bit to get a little off topic, but I think, I think it's a little bit of a mistake leaving him off the Rising Stars. I, I get it; he doesn't have those eye popping numbers, but damn, that defense is just. I, I just it's just annoying how sometimes defense is overlooked in this league and everyone gets caught up in the numbers on offense and stuff. But I mean talk about potentially the heart and soul of soul of a team. That could be yeah. that could be Mitchell come this playoffs. You talking about Draymond Green, a guy who has that same potential to do that is Davion Mitchell off the bench. Mm-hmm. And I mean he won't start, but I can see him playing crucial minutes in this playoff, trying to stop the best defender on the opposing team. But again, that's beside the point. But McNair has done a great job in drafting these guys. I mean, Halburn didn't really have a sophomore slump last year. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, so why would we think Murray would too, I guess? Yeah. That's a good point. So it wouldn't even be fair to say that Mitchell's having a sophomore he's, slump. I want to say he's having a. I, he's playing better than last. If year. anything, his his role is just a little yeah, more reduced. Yeah, which is fine. But I mean, his it's reduced on offense. It's even more like uh, he's he's well, it's increased on defense, of course. And and he's he's playing incredible defense. And I yeah. hope he's hope he's named to an all defensive team. He will be. Yeah, at least sure. I mean, how many are there? Just two, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, make it a third. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> <laughs> but um but back to Murray. He's just he's just a mature guy and you know I don't know when that he'll have that really breakout year, but at least what he's doing right now is all that is needed from him and I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to watching him in the Rising Stars game. Yeah. Keegan Murray. I it, it's amazing when we can have it, it we'll go a couple weeks without talking about him. But it's like you yeah. bring him up again and it's like you're gushing even more than you were the last time you were talking about him. And, and, and that's I, my point. It's just like yeah. constant growth. And he's, you know, he won Rookie of the Month in, um, like I said, December. And I think he could win it in January. And this is a guy that's on a winning team, which is, you know, it says something because Bancaro is on the Magic. And he's getting a lot of points and stuff, but it's like, well, who else is going to score? And like build this guy's confidence. Well, Murray's kind of thrown in this role where it's like, you're going to get limited touches. And, you know, I hope you make your shots. But he's killing it because isn't he hitting shooting historic numbers for a rookie from three? Yeah, he'll probably, I think he's going to break the three-point rookie record. <laughs> yeah. And he's shooting like over 40% from three. Yeah. He's, he's insane. He is so good. But, and it, which is an interesting point about Murray too. Because he's doing this in a role. Like, a, you'd think a fourth pick is like, all right, like, let's, uh, you know, get the ball in this guy's hands, build his confidence up. Mm-hmm. But no, he's doing this in a very limited role, very specific role on a the third best team in the Western Conference. I mean, he leads all rookies in plus minus for a reason because he's on a good team. But I mean, there's times out there when he's leading the Kings in plus minus in games. So mm-hmm. it's it just says a lot about him. Yeah, Keegan Murray, terrific. Um, how long it takes for him to be a star in this league, we'll see. But it just Sooner than later. Yeah, it just seems Sooner like he's kind of s- securing that fate. Mm-hmm. You know, we have so many different topics that we can pick from. Well, we were talking about Davion Mitchell <laughs> and how he could maybe get the all-defensive team this year. Well, there's a rumor popped up yesterday morning or maybe even Monday night. And the Kings are interested in 
they're listening to, I guess, trade offers. I forget the exact language from Mark Stein, but they're they're interested in Matisse Thibel. They're monitoring. Monitoring, yeah. The situation with Matisse Thibel in Philadelphia. Before I even pass this to John, I like Thibel. He's a great defender, great perimeter defender. Um you know, something that we were just talking about earlier in this this segment where the, the Kings are not a good defensive team, inconsistent. I mean, if you can bring in a guy like Thibel, I mean, I say, why not? I, he's he's a restricted free agent next year if you extend the qualifying offer. And then, I guess, again, the next year if it's only a one-year deal. But, um, I mean, if you can go get this guy, I, I, I say, why not? Like if and Terrence Davis, I think is the most obvious choice. So maybe even Rashawn Holmes because the Sixers need a backup center. Uh, as John was telling me, Harrell's not doing, or Harrell. I always say Harrell, but Harrell isn't doing the best job as the backup center in Philly. Uh, if you can dump off one of those guys for Thibault, I mean, might as well. I get it. He's not the best offensive player. I mean, neither, neither is Mitchell. I'm like, we were just talking very highly about him. I say if you can get a defensive minded guy, why not? A couple of notes. One, the Terrence, a Terrence Davis swap, if, if they were going to go player swap, that would work money-wise because Thibault, I think, is only owed 4.3 money. 4.3 monies. <laughs> 4.3 monies? That's it. 4.3 uh, million. Shit. Oh, man, that's a lot more zeros than I thought. <laughs> um, and so that kind of – you have to – do a little bit more to do the Holmes thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Philadelphia wants Holmes. They had Holmes. <laughs> that is true. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. But from what I've read from some on some of the Philly blogs, and there was even one that included a poll, and it said something. It's like, how much do you trust uh, <laughs> Montrez Harrell? And it's like, are you either very confident, not confident at all, or we'll see come April, May. And the vast majority said not confident at all. <laughs> um, so, of course, that plays into it. But listed to another team, maybe even among the Kings, is it was a team looking for a backup five. That's a good point. It's, I mean, they, they he almost came over in that uh, Buddy Heel russell Westbrook trade that fell through. Mm-hmm. That would have been interesting. I mean, at this point in that backup five, it's like, might as well just try anyone. <laughs> like, we met two. Met two's our backup five. Met yeah. two. I, I, like, I'm not... I mean, I'm... Talking shit about Matthew a little bit. Sick. And we do have a topic about the backup five and another name. Okay, I, I'll save it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have plenty more to say about Matthew in a bit. Stay tuned. But I totally agree with you. Thibault is the type of guy that would help this team now. He's the type of guy also that even if you don't have him under contract for next season, he's the type of guy you would kind of work and maybe try to keep with your core. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, because he fits the core. The age group, the athleticism, the length. Um, the defense, I mean, you talk about you have like the top ranked offense in the league and the 21st ranked defense. Time to tip that scale a little bit. And in terms of the offensive end, of course, you might just be like, well, why don't you just play Casey Akpala more? Casey Akpala, as a floor presence, it just doesn't, would not provide the same thing that Thibault would. Thibault has a track record of being a guy that doesn't kneecap his offense. Last mm. season, in about, I think, I, shit, I don't have it in front of me, but I can do it off the top of my head. Rough numbers. It was like 340 minutes last season where Harden, Embiid, and Thibel were on the floor. They had a plus 17 and a half net rating, like 103 point something 
uh, on defense and over 120 on offense. The things that Thibel could do, and I was reading an article. I wish I could credit the guy off the top of my head. I don't have my laptop with me, but I th- I'll, I'm going to credit it in the article that I'm writing about Thibel. Um, did a great, an excellent job of pointing out what this guy does in terms of off-ball offense. Cutting. He's already athletic. He's, you know, he, he a career, I think he shoots about 64% in the restricted area, which I think the league average is just under 60%. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty decent finisher. He's athletic. Um, he kind of hangs out along that baseline or even comes from the wing and makes a cut. He, he's you, If you reward him, he'll reward you. And also in terms of off-ball screens and spacing. This guy, he, he knows how to function as a part of the offense without letting his offensive deficiencies, which is, you know, shot creation, dribbling, you know, all those kinds of things. He's never going to be that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't go out there and that gets highlighted. He's not quite Tony Allen. And he's actually shooting over 40% on open, wide open three-point attempts. Um, and there's a lot of them in Sacramento plenty to go around yes and especially when you have him out there with you know nate pick your four shooters you know yeah exactly and what i like what i like to hear from what you just said is that you said last season with harden was it last season with harden mm-hmm. and being in thibel they had like a plus 17 net rating i mean harden i mean harden and Bede and thibel that's kind of similar to fox the bonus Thibel, you know, fair to say, yeah, so fair to say. Why wouldn't it work the same, right? You have a great passer, Harden, Sabonis, and you have a scorer, and you know, it's kind of flip flop where the point guard and the. But I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all the same at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. A guy who can pass to Thibel on the cuts, a guy who can play great defense, yeah, and like like I said, the become huge playoff time. I mean, the like I said earlier in this podcast, until the Kings can get consistent on defense, the playoffs are going to be a tough time. Bringing in Thibel, yeah. you got a guy in Thibel who's been a defensive player, um, or he's been on all defensive teams. You have Davion Mitchell, guy who's been all defensive team, or hopefully will he will be one day, and hopefully he's making the case this year. I mean, it's so great to have Thibel because, like, we talk about how Davion Mitchell he'll switch on to anybody. Thibel will switch on to anybody too. Exactly, six eleven wingspan. Like Davion, love Davion, but he's like. He can't really guard outside the guards. Like, yeah, he can guard on the perimeter, but like, he does not have a six eleven wingspan like Thibel. Where even Thibel can give some meaningful backup minutes to Barnes because Thibel, Thibel at this point he's a he's a backup. Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to be a starter. So it would be interesting. It'd be interesting having like Davion and Thibel on the floor together off the bench. It'd be incredibly incredible defensively. Offensively, <laughs> get a little interesting. Well, I think unless Sabonis is. True, and I also and Mike Brown points this out all the time. You see it whenever the Kings go on a really dominating run. It's not just offense; <laughs> that offense is being created with defense. So you cannot neglect the offensive effect of a good defender. Because even if Davion's not going out there and helping, it's like why does why was it everybody was talking last week about the fact that the offensive rating when Davion's out there instead of Fox is about the same as is when. You know what I'm saying. When Damian's out there, yeah. the offensive rating's about the same as when Fox is out there. Yeah. And, you know, part of it has to do – I mean, I don't want to dig into that. We tried to dig into that last week. I cut the whole segment. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, fast break opportunities are created, right? Yeah, And the absolutely. Kings are, the thrive on the pace. Set, all that exactly. stuff. The pace is driven. When the pace is going well, they're going on runs. When the pace is going well, it's usually because they're playing good defense. 
Patriots. Exactly. And disrupting teams and whatnot. And I think one of Matisse Thibault's, besides Mathief, is uh, the disruptor, which I'm pretty sure that's kind of a generic nickname, but I like Mathief. I I mean, I like Thibault in general. He's yeah. uh, he's the bull. <laughs> we said that a day, huh? The fox and the ox and the bull. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I would, I don't know if Philly would do this, but like TD for Thibault straight up, I'd pull the trigger. And I love TD, and he played great on Monday night against Minnesota. But he just he's playing sporadic minutes for a reason. I think he could be the number two shooting guard, maybe even a number one on a couple teams. But he's just not needed here, unfortunately. He's we have Monk and Herder, and he's going to get those spotty minutes. And and at the end of the day, he's on a, he's in a contract year, sure. and Sack's not going to. You're not going to bring him back. You don't need him. Might as well get something for him. If you can get Thibel, a guy you can maybe retain next year, a great defender. I get not messing up the chemistry, but it's like, at the end of the day, you need defense. And Davis is already playing sporadic enough minutes where it's like, he's not he's not the reason the Kings are playing great offense, you know? So, mm-hmm. obviously. Or, like, why they have a decent bench. It's, I mean, not to make him seem meaningless, but well, he's, no, no, no. he's a third-string shooting guard. And I would put it this way, too. When he got minutes in the second Minnesota game, who wasn't playing well or who wasn't shooting well? Kevin Herter. Kevin yeah. Herter went one of seven on Monday night. It was nice that Terrence Davis could come in. And I think it was like two of four. I think yeah. They were all from three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really nice. That's a luxury, though. The Kings on a nightly basis could really use defense and length. Exactly. Terrence and Davis, nightly, Terrence nightly Davis is a very, like, I love the way he plays. He plays with aggression, and that does translate on the defensive end. He constantly wants to get better on the defensive end. But in terms of length and defense, you 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 have to go Thibel over Davis at that point. And also, kind of the point that you made also, it's just like, Kings are not going to try to make a pursuit for Davis at the end of the season. They would make a pursuit for Thibel. Exactly. That could be part of the future plan. Mm-hmm. And Thibel can play the back of three. Where mm-hmm. Davis, I think it's a little more of a stretch. You're definitely playing a three-guard lineup at that point. Exactly. You don't feel like you have to hang your hat on that title when Thibault's out there. Yeah, you can call him a three for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, though, he doesn't have like the biggest frame. He's not like the strongest guy. He's got the length. And he's got the length. And he's a great defender. He's a wing, too. He's, like, he's yeah, yeah. So it's just like we're going to get into uh, the specifics here. Yeah. That's what you need is a backup wing. Yeah. And Thibault, I'm all for it. And I was kind of for that trade earlier before the season started. I, I, I can't even remember it exactly, but it was to bring – um, Harris and Thibel over from Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I think it was to trade Barnes like, and Holmes and someone. Yeah. Um, no, keep Holmes! <laughs> <laughs> is that ringing, yeah. ringing through the comment section? You understand. Man, that guy's going to take this team to another level. Man, I wish. Six I, man of the year candidate. I wish I remember what that trade was because I feel You'd like. probably pull it up pretty I can probably pull it up. But I'm like thinking back at it. I wish I kind of did it. You bring Harrison. That's what I'm saying. I uh, whatever, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that doesn't matter. No. That's a what if conversation. For but Thibel, bring Thibel in. I I don't think there's any reason not to. He's just they they, you know, you got the team bringing in PJ Dozier for twenty days. They got him bringing in Deontay Burton. Deontay, you know Burton. these guys that are long. You know Dozier has the track record of doing it in the NBA, but he had the ACL injury. Burton doesn't really have the track record doing it at the NBA level. But it's just like you 
tying it together. You're getting a guy that's in the continuity of making an effect in the NBA and can continue doing that for the foreseeable future. And again, be that well-renowned defensive player in the league on the perimeter and not kneecap the team offensively. Yeah. It's just, it's, if the deal can get done, that's what you want to do. But it's just like, I don't know. I was also, I read one uh, Philly blog that was like, if we could just get second round draft capital, two, two second round picks, that'd be great. That was the guy's opinion. But in the look in the mind of somebody that pays attention to the Sixers, they want a little bit of draft capital. I mean, the second round picks is kind of what you can offer. That's the extent of it. If that's what Man, get for. rid of every second round pick you have. <laughs> I do not care about a second round pick. Name, <laughs> name, other than Isaiah Thomas, name like a good second round pick the Kings have had. Who've like been like, okay, like he's like an integral piece yeah. of this lineup. I don't know. No, nobody. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> nobody. Get rid of them. I don't, I don't understand why second round picks are even... There would have been some good second round picks uh, or late first round picks in this previous draft, but I don't know. It's also weird because the second round pick is kind of just falling off because once you get past like the first 10 picks of the second round, like those guys, if they don't get picked at a certain point, they don't even want to get picked. Like, yeah. It's a growing trend. Like the Keon Ellis situation. <laughs> yeah. Like, they really just be undrafted free. Which is crazy because it's like giving Keon Ellis a skill set. That guy was like a late first round, early second round prospect. Yeah. Although he, on all the draft boards, he was like mid, late second round. Just, guys just slip. I don't get it. it. It's weird. But we were talking about that a couple, like a month or two ago. We we're like, you know what? This is proof is in the pudding for why you shouldn't trust these draft gurus is Keegan Murray. Yeah, exactly. The idea that my dumbass would be writing all summer. Is Keegan Murray a stretch for the fourth pick? Because I'm reading these idiots. I had a real wake up call. I'll tell you what. I mean, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> Fly to Iowa. <laughs> Scout out every <laughs> Iowa game. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to go to Iowa. Just like watch their basketball for a season. Like, you know what? That would be like a dream job if you could like cover the Iowa. Like, because that's just like. You're in a community that's just like crazy about this one thing. Who gives a shit what people are saying on the outside? Nobody's really saying anything. Yeah, no one cares. You're kind of in your own world. It just seems so, there's something romantic about that. Yeah, it is nice. It's just, that's your team. And that's kind of how I feel in Sacramento, being a Kings fan. Well, I mean, they're kind of bandwagon royalty, baby. I mean, that's <laughs> happening now. And I'm all for the bandwagon. Like, everyone's welcome in. It's good. Doors open. But... It's a lot better than people just taking the stupid low-hanging fruit of cheap shots like oh the king's up <laughs> yeah that's true okay that's old that's <laughs> also better than being a fan it's like oh, i've been a fan since 2006 like, what have you been like, whatever just that's, that's so stupid i'll take the like whatever you want for the king's roof yeah gate yeah i hate those gatekeepers i see those gatekeepers out there like where where were you in 2010 name five kings like <laughs> what were you two in 2010 like, <laughs> exactly. come on man like whatever, come on, just let the people enjoy the the good teams. I'll take it because that means you're a good team. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Anyways, that's true. I think uh, in terms of um, kind of taking a com- uh, completely different turn here, another interesting note that uh, I saw. This was pointed out by Frankie Cardicelli. Frankie, yeah, am I saying that name right? Franklin, Franklin. Is but I think Frank. He, I, I think it goes by Frankie. Did you go by Frankie? Frankie, man. He sounds so Italian. Frankie. Frankie. What's that, Frankie? Frankie goes to Hollywood. Ah, Frankie Cardicelli. <laughs> Frank, Frankie Frank, goes to Hollywood. Frank, yeah. Does he go by Frankie? 
I am I dyslexic that bad? I'm pretty sure it's Frankie. Be, there I saw him at a Kings game. Be Frankie. I walked by him. I was like, <laughs> I almost want to go to him. He's like, hey, I'm Cap City Crown. No one gives a shit. <laughs> he does follow the account, though. He does follow so the account. So he's a good man. I mean, one time I said we should go golfing together. And he said, okay. Frankie Golf Carticelli? <laughs> That's what it made me double think. <laughs> like, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah, you're right, Frankie. <laughs> Frankie. Frankie. We love you, Frankie. I don't want to make it seem like we're laughing at you if you're listening. I think you're a good guy. I don't think he's listening. Um, he noted that because uh, the NBA.com came out and they released the reserve all-star voting for six of their writers. Of the six ballots, Domas appeared on all six, as one might imagine, but the bigger story. Five of six. Pretty good clip there. Five of six. Darren Fox was on it. It's kind of looking like Darren Fox is going to be an all-star. Well, okay, before I get to Fox, Domas, yeah, I mean, he, I think like ESPN was putting out like, who should be starters? I mean, Domas was like, he should be a starter. Mm -hmm. Like most people are saying, which is obvious, the fan vote sucks. I don't know why (laughs) Zion Williamson's a starter. I get it. I know. I get it because he's. He's Aaron Williamson, but it's like, but everybody around the like in the even in the national media are going like, come on, like I yeah. think even like Shaq and Chuck and like Kendrick Perkins. Dude's missed what twenty games this year, 30, <laughs> almost thirty it's like, games. That's silly, whatever. But yes, so of course Domas is a starter. I mean, <laughs> of course he's an all star. I mean, like that's that's no that's no question. But Fox, yeah, he was always a guy who was like, eh, it's gonna be a starter, and so that is good news that these senior writers are saying that he should be. Um, we kind of got nervous when he went in that slump. When, I don't even remember when that was. December sometime, right? Yeah, what, like the foot bruise thing? Yeah, the foot Yeah, that was like early December. Because he missed, we were talking about that Cleveland game earlier. And that yeah. was the second week of December. Okay, so, I mean, he he was on like a heater before that. He was insane before like that Orlando, when he hit that game winner before that, that dude was a stud. Then he kind of had this slump and it's like, oh, well, maybe he's killing his all-star chances. And even after that slump kind of ended, his numbers weren't eye-popping. Because in the NBA, there's limited all-star spots. You have to have some eye-popping numbers. True. Uh, and even now, in the last like month or so, it's like, they're not eye-popping, but they're consistent enough where he's like, he threw up 32 against Minnesota. And the Minnesota game before, he threw up 29. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're what 21 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and he had a game that he only scored 17, but he had 10 assists. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like people are looking at that. And I mean, and the Kings at the end of the day, right now, they're the third seed in the West and a third seed. Cause you, cause here's the top three seeds. You have number one, the nuggets, like Jokic and maybe Aaron Gordon, right it's like it's not as convincing as Sabonis and Fox the second seed you got the Grizzlies you have John Moran and maybe Desmond Bain I don't Mm. even know if Bain's really in the conversation I hadn't even heard this argument before but I see where you're going with this but then the third seed the third seed the Kings are in the third seed right crazy but so you have Sabonis obvious all-star as is Moran and as is Jokic Mm mm-hmm well, Jokic is already a starter, obviously. Jokic is a two-time movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he shouldn't make it. But um, but then you have Fox, where it's like a guy scoring 24 points a game on the third seed in the West. And is a guy who's kind of been in borderline all-star the last couple of years, just 
kind of needed that winning record to really propel him to all-star. True. He has a winning record now. He has really picked up his game since that slump. He's the number one clutch scorer in the NBA, the most clutch points, which says something. I mean, I'll take that. I'll take a clutch score any, any day of the week. Oh, yeah. Um, so he has that to his name, too, to like kind of boost that. Because people are seeing there's now an award awarded at the end of the season, awarding the clutch. It's the Jerry West <laughs> Clutch Player of the Year Award. So he has that to his name as well. Um, I mean, out of those top three seeds, as I just mentioned, it makes sense for Fox and Sabonis to have the two all-stars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you heard it from Mike Brown the whole, the whole way through. This team, the thing for Fox being an all-star is, is this team winning. Yeah. <laughs> Third in the Western Conference, like a lot of people, including myself, imagine this team being pretty good this year. Third in the Western Conference around the All-Star break. I would not have guessed that. No. I would not have <laughs> I would not have even thought about guessing that. I would yeah. have, people would have been like, okay, chill out. <laughs> like, <laughs> even the most ardent supporters of the Kings would just be like, take it easy, pump the brakes. <laughs> That speaks for itself. And then also it's just like, it's like what we were saying. One of the things that happened when Fox went out is you saw all sorts of things change defensively. You saw all sorts of things, particularly with the second unit who he plays a lot with, you saw their production dip. He just, in a lot of ways, when he's got everything tightened up, everything else tightens up around him. It speaks for itself. And uh, yeah, as, as good as Sabonis is, Fox the leader of this team. Yeah. He's a leader. It's mm-hmm. his it's his team. As as I mean, and maybe because he's been around longer or anything, but he you is. Know, yeah, no, I mean you were leader. saying it last week or the week before when I think it was the week before, after they went on uh ESPN, and you're like, everybody can every, from Mike Brown to Domas Sabonis, everybody kinda take will willingly take a back seat to Darren Fox. Let him make calls, let him override a call. Let him take control, play ISO, whatever the situation, get his own shot. Just let him do his own let him do his own thing. Yeah. And more often than not, it typically works out. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, sometimes it doesn't because you lose, you know, on Saturday night, but it's like the dude went off. And it's like <laughs> that was one of the, the few bright spots in that game because the defensive effort in that first Minnesota game was not there at all. And it, you know, as we noted, and it's just like Fox has a way of being a lone bright spot. Yeah. And even when like you look at games, it's like, oh, the team did really well. People would be tempted to say, oh, but he only scored 16 points. That's a that's a negative. And it's like, you realize this team dominated tonight because he was doing other things? Exactly. Facilitating, fucking defending. And you can see it even in that second Minnesota game. We were talking about how like Davion Mitchell and you know, you get thigh ball on this team, you just have like all these guys switching. There were multiple moments that were pointed out later that I didn't take note of at the time where he's just switching off of guys and is, he just has this fervent energy going on. And it's just like, I mean, this guy sets a tone. Yeah. He does set the tone and the team follows. Yeah. And so he's just directly plugged in to what's happening. And you see that, that the most important stat, I think is what we're saying for De'Aaron Fox is the Kings win call. Ex- yeah. I, I would, I maybe a month ago you asked me, but like, yeah, I might be surprised if he's an all-star at this point. It's like, yeah, we said that a month ago. Yeah, no, we did. It's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, he kind of playing himself out of it. But at this point, I would still be a little surprised. A little, <laughs> a little, I don't think he's a lock. You don't think, you don't think that this, the five of six NBA.com writers helps your, cause that really boosted my, like, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, he's going to be an all-star. I would be surprised if he's not an all-star now. 
I don't know. Maybe just because I think it's a little hard to be a first-time All-Star, unless you're a starter. I feel like it's, you kind of get, like, grandfathered in. It's like, yeah, he's an All-Star. That's true. Yeah, whatever. Like, Zion Williamson, he's a starter. But to your point, he's been a borderline guy. He's been, yeah, exactly. What, what breaks what get, what breaks a guy through? That's true. Being third in the Western Conference kind of seems like the thing. That's very true. But we'll have to see. We'll see. We'll find out on Thursday. And he deserves it. And it's it's so nice, too, if Fox becomes an all-star. I get it like Sabonis. We traded for him. He's our best player. But, I mean, Fox got drafted here. Mm-hmm. He signed that extension to stay here. And so it would be nice to really see, like, the fruits of his labor, you know? Like, yeah. Become an all-star. And I think those, the you know the nickname Foxy was kind of polarizing. You're an all-star. You're Foxy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn. Slap it on there, man. He's like a homecoming queen at that point. He's not just Aaron. He's D Aaron. D Aaron. Man, I give him A A plus Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Or even better, double D Aaron. (laughs) Double D. (laughs) But, uh, you know, kind of going off of Fox, one of the things that's interesting about Fox is uh, you have not seen him let up from having to plead his case to the refs. Game in and game out. Even as he was, from start to finish, he had one of those games where from the beginning he was great, and at the very end, to the end, he was great. Um, Really nice game there in that second game in Minnesota. Yet through it all, he's constantly, you know, telling people, you know, I'm getting hit, I'm getting hit. And he timeouts, people at the free throw line, he's talking, he's constantly pleading his case. Every, the, the, the official conversation is kind of like, in terms of officiating, has always been a conversation this season. Um... Minnesota, and we we bring up the situations like after that one Laker game where they gave that beneficial call to Schroeder, who even said, like, that's not a call I typically get. And then Fox didn't get the call in the half-court shot where it looked like Westbrook made contact with his arm. That kind of seemed like a new peak and kind of the tension between De'Aaron Fox and uh, the officials. But it kind of seems more like a Kings issue again after Jaden McDaniels. I don't want to. Mix them up with Jalen McDaniels. Are, are they brothers? I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I don't. I would. I would. I don't know for sure. We could look it up, but <laughs> I don't think they are. You know, it's funny. <laughs> Just to go ahead. Do a side topic. When you were talking about this guy Jalen McDaniels, I thought it was JD McDaniels this whole time. Because <laughs> wasn't JD McDaniels not, he's not on the T Wolves anymore? <laughs> what? Who was? Wasn't he on the Rockets or is that Jalen McDaniels? Yeah, I think Jade. Oh, now I'm mixing them up. Now it makes him up too. No, well, I guess I think, he's only been ever been on Minnesota. Yeah, and I think uh, the other McDaniel's has only ever been on Charlotte. And who the hell am I thinking of? I don't know. Josh McDaniel's, coach of the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, he has. Okay. Anyway. Well, it, the the you, you add the element of like Domas kind of getting. Into it they are the brothers. brothers, though. They are? Yeah. What the hell do I know? <laughs> what the hell do I know? Okay, they are. They are? That kind of makes sense. I mean, come on. They're a lanky one, guys. A one-letter difference in their name. <laughs> How aren't they? Well, freaking uh, um, uh, the Thunder. The two that ladies. is weird. Jalen Jalen Williams. Yeah, I, I didn't say this after the Thunder game, but I was really bullish on Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara for the Kings. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. 
Yeah, you were. I was really kind of big on him, and I'm very happy to see what he's doing at OKC. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, we lost Holmgren. It's like, you still got your other first-round pick who's killing it. Yeah. Looks like Aaron Fox. That fucking hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I feel weird. like both... I feel like both uh, of those guys have the big hair, though. Huh? Jalen. Yeah, they both have. Yeah, they both have the. My mom was at that game and she texted me. Are they brothers on the OKC Thunder? It's like Donovan and Davion Mitchell are brothers. <laughs> I was <just> right. <laughs> but the thing with the officials, uh, <laughs> it kind of reached a new peak in terms of maybe not a new peak, but it's another milestone in terms of the uh, disgruntlement between the Sacramento Kings, Mike Brown, DeMontis Sabotas, and De'Aaron Fox, and the officials. Uh, After that McDaniels uh, happy feet moment. Yeah, I mean... Which was way different. I think that was way different than the the hero one. Because hero was the ball handler the whole time. And he was like... Was that kind of like a sidestep three that he did it? Yeah, it was. It was like a pivot foot they picked up. Again, it's like one of those things where it's just like... That one doesn't like this. This one, I'll just I'll put it this way: the one on Monday night was pretty blatant. Yeah, because it's like one is Tyler Hero. You try to market that guy. At least you have an argument for the bullshit. This one, it's like who traveled before the ball and hit it. <laughs> it's like they almost didn't expect him to hit it. And like uh, watching it, I couldn't tell as like I I, I didn't think you. Tra- I mean, I'm not. I didn't I mean, see I it. Think, off the top I didn't of my see head. it. Yeah, right. I didn't. See I it saw the, the bench my head. react, and I saw the chick with the half shirt sweatshirt go. What? <laughs> but like they showed the replay i'm like how did he miss that <laughs> like his whole left foot was like it was almost like the chris weber technical foul mm-hmm. one. it's like just totally dragged it yeah like it kind of came up off the ground because he couldn't stop so i mean i mean i think these are two different scenarios though what you're talking about with fox and even sabonis kind of complaining to the refs and then the late game calls not going the king's way um I'm still under the fact that if you listen to this podcast long enough, that I I get annoyed with Fox and Sabonis complaining to the refs that much. Like, I get it. Fouls happen. A lot of people complain. But I don't think they're helping their case. And, like, I think you made a point where I think Sabonis said that. It's like, all right, maybe we should be nice to the refs. And that happened. I was struggling to find the clip of it. I just, it was no, like, it, it was some shoot around after shoot around. I just couldn't find the clip. No, I've been it, looking for the last I, month. I remember. Yeah, I remember watching it, too. But it's just like, I don't know. It's like one Sabonis, he Sabonis gets banged around a lot. I agree, and, and I think they both get banged around a lot. Uh, and <laughs> I think they can both get more foul calls, of course. Yeah, yeah. and they should, right? But it's yeah. like, I don't know. It's like it's it's the NBA. You're not going to get every call. You're not going to, and especially a guy like Fox, who's a guy who makes a living in the paint as a mm-hmm. 6'3 guy. And same with Sabonis, who's a bruiser, who's going to, of course, he's going to draw contact. He's mm-hmm. bodying guys up. Leading himself. rebounder. He's always in there. Exactly. So, I don't know. I'm never a fan. It kind of, maybe it just brings me back to watching Boogie just whine to the refs after everything. It's like to a point where it's like, play the game. And yeah. like after Fox like points at his elbow after a made shot, like every you know, every play doesn't get a foul, especially when he makes it too. Like, yeah, like they're probably going to call it if you miss it. And that, that's just kind of how they, that is, that, that's, that's fair. The late calls, the late, know. the late calls. Happen. They sometimes do go Darren Fox's way. He, he gets maybe one or two a game. He does. And that, I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but that's how the way the NBA is officiated. If it goes in, it's like, it's a 50, 50 call. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get it. But if you miss it, you'll probably get it. It's like, just like, don't, 
let's get back on defense. It's the question you could ask too is just like the pleading. What has that gotten you? Exactly. And I was talking to my my old man the other day about because he was like, you know, I was watching a basketball game. He's just like nobody plays defense anymore, you know. And it's just he was then he was talking about that, and he was talking about the officiating. He was like, all these people were complaining about the officiating and all this stuff. He's he he asked me, he's like, do you think NBA officials like are they consistent? I'd say like, eh, they're not really consistent. They try to be consistent. I think everything balances out in the end. But one of the things that I ended up kind of like after rambling for five minutes, I came to the conclusion I'm like. Think about all the other officials in sports. Like football, they get these officiating crews that do one game a week. Like they're very centered on what's going on in that game. It's just that, uh, what, 60 minutes of play that they got to focus on. Baseball, you got these crew chiefs that hang around in the same town for three or four nights, mm-hmm. you know, and they're switching positions and what they're doing. And it's just it, 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 it bite-sized. It's eight, You're able to digest your work at that point, for lack of a better way of putting it. But it's like basketball – it's first of all, that's one of the harder sports to to, to officiate. Yeah. It's fast. It's, it's like schizophrenic fast. the way it's so fast, mm-hmm. and it 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 you're kind of bouncing around from city to city. I know that I think if a team plays twice in the same city, sometimes they'll use the same officiating crews. I, I might be wrong about that, but these guys are bouncing around and whatnot. It's kind of a tough job. I'm not not taking away from the fact that it's like there needs to be some kind of accountability for bad calls. I don't think they need to be fined. That's, that <laughs> kind of goes against my ethics. But um, at the end of the day, it's just like, I guess it comes down to what are you achieving by getting in these refs' face? It's like, we're not getting in their face, um, but by complaining all the time. Because it's just like, there's a lot of times where it's like the Kings have a game where like it's like that. And then in the next game, things just go their way. Yeah. And it's even like, you. Kind of, I was watching that Monday game and it's like, even with Domas, it's like, when he got blocked by Gobert, he got blocked by Gobert. We could just say that. He got blocked. Although it was uh, they, they ended up calling the foul, so the block didn't count. Because mm-hmm. Gobert ended up with the zero in the block column. But, you know, Domas was like, I got hit in the face. It's like, yeah, but you clocked him even harder. <laughs> like, exactly. So it's, it's a- like they're not always, of course they're going to be angry. I mean, it, 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 with Domas especially, it's like things will escalate to a certain point if he really feels like it's not going his way. And the one where he immediately, uh, he uh, eventually bursted on the refs um like yeah it looked like he got fouled twice both on the shot attempt and the rebound attempt but it's just like these guys are kind of like in their zone they're not really taking into account all the outside factors and i guess i want to lead all this to a certain point we're just talking about fox being a potential all-star if both of these guys are all-stars and they get past the all-star break if there's not a change after that that's a good point that's when you really start to get angry that's a good point that's a great point so, I mean, like, if they're all-stars, it'd be interesting to see if things change. And, I mean, I don't know. I would imagine it would. I would hope it would. You would hope it would. Especially for Fox. Yeah, and I was and another <laughs> thing my dad and I were talking about, he's like, we, were, we both agreed. It's like, the NBA has always given special, you know, privileges, essentially, and special leeway, extra long leashes to their stars. It's always been that way. Yeah. You know? Of like, course. How many times has Larry Bird pushed off guys and never gotten <laughs> called? You know? So... Still one of my favorite players ever for that reason, but <laughs> Larry Legend. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's definitely interesting. But it's just like when people are like, the refs need to get fired. They need to get fined. The game's rigged. Everybody's against the Kings. It's a written script, all this stuff. 
I'm like, the only argument you can make is they want to maybe push ratings and push drama. But other than that, I don't really think there's much. Yeah, everyone complains about the refs. Like, I, 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 at the end of the day. You heard Minnesota going off saying refs Exactly. Suck. Exactly. And, like, at the end of the day, the, the Tyler Hero travel, the Jaden McDaniels travel, and the Clay Thompson foul on Herder, like, those are yeah. inexcusable. Like, those should not, like, especially, like, blatant plays. Hero maybe a little less than the other two, but like blatant. Yeah, the other ones were that, 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 yeah, about that Clay Thompson that, one. Exactly, like those should be called. Like the Fox and Sabonis, like there's that's gonna happen every game. That's mm-hmm. Fox and Sabonis's game. They're gonna get pissed when a foul's not called. That's just how it's gonna happen. They're gonna get hit in the arm, and we saw LeBron how he reacted. I was just gonna bring that up. Like they, it's not like it's just the Kings. It mm-hmm. happens to every team. Everyone just wants to think hey, it's us against the refs tonight. Like, I guess- and it happens sometimes, but. I, I mean, it's not like the Kings haven't been in fortune of missed calls. I would say, though, that uh, it's interesting that the Kings have never sparked a national conversation, but LeBron bitches once, and it's a national conversation. <laughs> and they're like the NBA refs official Twitter they, they, account. They, they, they tweet out an apology. It's going to be sleepless nights. Yeah, it's shut just up. like, shut your mouth. <laughs> Don't give me that. That's That's just, that's stupid. But it does beg the question of, in late game moments, where things are on the line, and maybe not in the regular season, but come playoff time. I heard Matt George and uh, Kevin John on ABC yeah. 10 mm-hmm. visiting my mom here, so I get to watch the local Sacramento news. And uh, these guys uh, were bringing up a good question. It's like, come playoff time, it's like those high stakes. I mean, they got to come up with something. And this league, and as well with all leagues, have implemented replay and whatnot. You want to get it right. You're doing that because you want to get it right. Exactly. And it's like at those high stake moments, like, they gotta, they, they, I don't know what the answer is, but they've got to come up with something. Mm-hmm. And maybe not in the regular season, but something. And then also the question comes up, because I was kind of noting it, and I don't, I don't want to like gain sympathy for the refs, because that's not what I'm trying to do. But maybe they need to hire more officials. Does there need to be a fourth official on the floor, part of a, a crew? I don't know. I mean, Maybe. I just think all options need to be considered, because it's an interesting argument. It is. But... It's kind of a complex conversation there. It kind of yeah. started with Fox. I know. Fox, you know, we're talking league-wide. But kind of moving on here, probably our last topic. And I think it's a good one. We've talked a lot, and it's kind of revved up over the last month, about when the Kings used Trey Lyles as a backup. Uh, not a backup five, but a small five, I mm-hmm. would say. I think we were talking about that one Laker game. I think both of the instances in the last month where Sabonis fouled out, was that one Laker game, I think, and then the most recent game against Minnesota where they couldn't have him in the last few minutes and into overtime. And who'd they go to? They didn't go to Chemezi Metu. <laughs> when the game matters. <laughs> they go to Trey Lyles. Says a lot. And a lot of people, including us, have noted it's like, oh, when Trey Lyles is thrown into the small five, it really gives them kind of another element. And you have a lot of advantages to that. I mean, in terms of height, both of them are 6'9", if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Metu and Lyles. Trey Lyles probably has a little bit more weight. Definitely a bigger frame. Yeah. Stronger. Um, better range. Better rebounder, in my opinion. Better, better rebounder. Out, yeah. Better shooter. Is uh, we would both say smarter. Mm-hmm. Did you say better defense? Yeah, I think you did. Well, someone did. Better or defense. Neither of us did, yeah. The only thing Chimezi Metu has on him is athleticism. Exactly. Runs the floor better and can jump higher. Mm-hmm. And Trey Lyles runs the floor pretty well. Exactly. He busts his ass. Yeah. Um, so, 
uh, the question was going to come up at some point. Why don't you use Trey Lyles more in that backup five kind of role as opposed to going with Metu, which is hit and miss sometimes. Sometimes you get Metu out there, he'll play 10, 12, 13 minutes, and it's like, he was good. Mm-hmm. He was good. He got that plus, plus minus of plus six or something on this, you know, yeah. whatever's going on there. But sometimes he'll go out there. And it's just it's a, it's a disaster. Yeah. It's just like they lost this game because of the minutes Sabonis wasn't out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like that doesn't happen as much as it maybe did in November and December, but it still happens. Oh, of course. I don't think anybody's going out of their way to argue that Metu is a through and through backup center. Now, people probably wouldn't make that argument about Trey, but it's about what you have on the personnel side of things. And Trey Lyles is a versatile player who is effective and kind of in some situations would really work. So it was a matter of time again until this conversation got brought up. And Chris Bitterman of the Sacramento Bee, he asked Mike Brown after the second Minnesota game, uh, you know, like we saw Trey Lyles in overtime. He had a great box out. He hit a three, then he had the dunk. You thought about using him more as like the backup five. Everybody knows that he's used as the small five and in special situations, especially when Domas isn't there. But what about using him as the backup five? And Mike Brown gave the predictable answer. Like, yeah, we use it. We go to it. We have that option. It's in our back pocket. But Chemezi Metu's our guy. <laughs> if, if Metu is your guy, why isn't he playing in overtime? Like, you're the backup five. Like, you should be Sabonis out of the game. <laughs> exactly. I mean, oh, God. We I were mean- saying it last week. Uh, maybe the week before, where it was like, oh, well, Mike Brown likes the look that Jimmy yes. and you, you stopped me. You're like, yeah, but what else does he offer? Exactly. And of course, that's the only thing you can say about him. And Mike Brown, he, I mean, he'll call guys out to play better, but he's not going to, especially Matthew. It's like, yeah, what else, what other good thing you're supposed to say? It's not like he's going to go out there and be like, yeah, Matthew's never going to be a full backup. <laughs> exactly. He's not going to go out there and say that. Does Matthew provide interesting things with his length and athleticism? Of yeah. course. Is he a rotational guy? You probably don't want him to be. I mean, I think just Monday night's game against the best defensive center in the league in an overtime game, five minutes, Lyles was out there and hit a big three, hit a good and one. Yeah. I mean, he stretches the floor. That's the big huge. one. It, it, exactly. He met you is not hit threes this season. Metu I think he's hit like two never total. hit threes. <laughs> Late last season, he did. <laughs> Remember he ended, he ended oh, the yeah. season, oh, yeah. ended this season on, uh, I think the last 11 games, he shot like 40% from three. It's like, here he comes. Yeah. Messi Mamba. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> 11 games, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lyles is just a better player, obviously. And I, I'm all for Lyles at the backup five. And it's like, I will Zach Paulo the backup four. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, and you that's you the fill issue. one hole and it creates. I mean, I think just in general, it's. Lyles is the best backup big the Kings have. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of the first, best bench players. Dude, I love Lyles. He's so good. <laughs> Ever <laughs> since he got that start in OKC last season, just Cupid plucked me in the ass with a fucking Dude, arrow. I love Lyles. I know. we God, they really got to keep him. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even know what the argument. I mean, like, yeah, of course he's better than Matt <laughs> <laughs> Like It just gets silly. But it, it, I guess the one thing that you're – Mike Brown's answer, because you made a point that was Mike just, Brown's full of shit. Yeah, of course he's he is. been full of shit about Matthew. Of course he is. Part of his job is talking his guys up. He's full not- of shit about Akpala. He's full of shit about Maneke. He started Akpala. Like start start Lyles. So at least start Lyles. Yeah, that, was, that would have been at least more realistic. We pointed that out. We're like, 
well, here's the argument for starting Trey Lyles. Why the hell are we even in this conversation that this guy was a starter last season? <laughs> exactly. I have no idea. Because, oh, man, it's Brown's biggest weakness. I'm going to say it. Like, dude, stop being so loyal to your guys. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know if any of you have watched The Office. I'm assuming a majority of you guys. But yeah, just I, to, what? What? Yeah, right. Did you watch it? I, I can't remember. I've never heard of The Office. Anyways, <laughs> so when Michael Scott goes and starts his own paper company, he takes Pam and Ryan. And when he brings them back and like whatever happens, he gets back. He, bring, he gets back to Dunder Mifflin and he starts favoring Pam and Ryan. And it's just like I just and everyone hates it around him. It's like, why? Like these guys suck. They're not even good workers. Like, why are they getting the favoritism? Because they left with you. That's how I feel about Mike Brown with these guys. It's like, I, I get it. They were on your Nigerian national team. Yeah. You're probably proud of that. And like, you had a probably good bonding experience with them during the Olympics. But like, just, you, they're not who you think they are. Here's the other element too. Um, you see it with a lot of coaches and it's not an indictment of their personality, but it's just kind of a nature of the people that are in this business and that succeed in this business. There's an ego element. If you get a situation where all of a sudden Casey Akbala is a rotational guy in the league and he's an all defensive, maybe second team player or whatever the situation is. And, oh man, Mike Brown, man, he really has an eye for talent <laughs> development, doesn't he? I mean, he's That's really, true. I don't know if that plays into it, but it's just like, feels like that would be a factor you listen you listen to the way kyle shanahan would talk about brock purdy it never he loved brock purdy but he never gave brock purdy the credit for the fact that he was the best quarterback the 49ers have ever had since kyle shanahan has come in in terms of processing things i don't want to get into a football discussion here but that element of ego and kind of like taking true it has to at least be considered and again, Mike Brown is not, in terms of Kyle Shanahan and Mike Brown, Mike Brown is not as overtly egotistical. Um, but I don't know. It, the, the thought has to cross his mind, man, that, that must look really good if this works out. That's true. You know? He like, just, what happens if I can get Shemezi Metu, who's been on this team for the last, what, two seasons and hasn't done shit for the most part? What happens if I can get him to be a real guy? You know, real NBA player. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, but I do think, uh, to his credit, I do think Metu has proven that he might he's useful, which is not something that we've. He's said. been as useful as he was the last two years. He's been I, I'm more useful, more uh, out of necessity because Holmes is terrible. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, I don't want Metu as my backup. I player. would say I would say Metu really benefits from the culture and just the environment. That, that is true in terms of like the things that they're trying to drive down into guys. I mean, you don't even see it. Like, it was funny with Metu on Monday night. He didn't box out somebody. And he's like, it was TD. TD had to box him out. And Mike Brown's like, did you pull up the clip? And they're, like, showing it. It's just like, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. Metu has surprised me this year. He's a little better than I thought. But it's kind of whatever. Trey Lowes is the better player. Trey Lowes is I think, if anything, player. this just proves that the backup five <clears throat> is a need that we've all known about. And it's kind of cooled off that conversation as the trade deadline has come near and not really anything is really like in November and December, we're all talking about Nerland's Noel and then, you know, like Mason Plumley and all these guys. I mean, I feel like the conversation has dried up because not dried up, but it's just gone in other directions in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on here. And I don't know. It has a lot of high asking prices too. Like every time I read a report, it's like, I guess it's like the Jay Crowder report. It's like, yeah, we'll trade Jay Crowder for a star player. Like, what? Yeah, we'll trade Mason Plumley for a first-round pick. I was like, 
Is I mean I know this aren't serious and they these guys aren't going to be traded for that. It's like come on, it gets it gets it gets. I, I get it. You have to start high and then work your way to the middle ground. Like whatever. Yeah, and as especially as the Kings, it's like all right, your biggest trade piece, Terrence Davis. Like <laughs> what the hell are we get in? <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Thibel somehow. But I, I mean, mean, if you traded TD in a second yeah. round pick for Thibel, if you're it. really confident that you can keep him. That's might as way. well. You might as well. Do might, that. Better than a second round. Even if it is the rental, you're trading a guy that wouldn't be here next year. Exactly. As le- at least uh, for as a player have... swap, that would be a perfect situation. Exactly. Now, will that be the reality? We'll see. No. Stay tuned to Caps of the Crowd. Stay tuned. <laughs> I think that's it today, guys. Was that our last topic? That was our last one. Well, it better be because I got to take a piss. <laughs> I need to. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to recap. But the Kings play the Spurs tonight, 14 and 37 on the year. They guys have to win it. Sabonis makes his return to Indiana on Friday. Oh, man. It's going to be a big good game. game. It's going to be a huge game. If they you need... remember, folks, he could not travel with the team. He got that knee bruise in Phoenix before they traveled to uh, Indiana late last season. So mm-hmm. he never got his homecoming. Who hit the game winner that game? Uh, in Indiana? Was that? Was that who I think it was? Say the name. You should say it. Damian Jones. Oh, I thought I forgot. I forgot. I thought you were... it was like a putback. It was a putback for the win. Well, we're big Damian Jones fans as well as Trey Lyles fans here. Did he really have a game winner? Because I remember it that. wasn't. It was like point. It was like one point two seconds. Okay, left. like someone missed a three and he grabbed well, it. Well, because you remember in that Phoenix game, he helped the team go to overtime. Like he tied it up with a putback. See, that's funny. I don't remember that. <laughs> hey, man. The end of the last season. Who cares? But especially when Sabonis and Fox sat out. It's like, all right, watch these games. I've never had so much hope in Chemezi Metu in those <laughs> last 11, 12 games. Yeah, well, the, excellent. it ends there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the Kings still have four more games on the road trip. Indiana, well, no, they have five more. They have San Antonio tonight. Then they have four more after that, obviously, basic math. Indiana, that'll be a fun game. Then you have New Orleans, who seems to have dropped. They had the third seed. Yeah, they and now really they're on, like, kind of like the seventh Earth. seed or something now. Um, they were kind of stealing the Kings' thunder because they were playing so well. Yeah. yeah. And then you got Houston in, in back-to-back, kind of like Minnesota, where it's back-to-back, but there's a game off in between. So, I mean, you're looking at that schedule. You think you can beat San Antonio. You hope to split between New Orleans and Indiana, like realistically, mm-hmm. and you hope to beat Houston twice. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at a potentially a 1-1, one 2-1, and 3-2, and one, it's like a five and two road trip. That first one in Houston will be tough though, because that's a direct back to back off the. Um, that is true, New Orleans, but it's game. also Houston. But it is Houston, so it we'll see. Houston. And then on top of that, the NBA All Star reserves are going to be announced Thursday at four. That'll be mm. exciting. Where you you know you're at least going to hear some bonus. So the, the exciting part we'll be hearing, uh, we'll see if we hear De'Aaron Fox's name announced. So yeah, it'll be an exciting week for the Kings. Um, and we haven't had an all-star since Cousins, so that'll be extra exciting, especially at the third seed. So that's all I got, Johnny. Got anything else? Hey, man, just enjoy the moment at this point. This is a, this is a nice uh, – when was the last time we got to the end of January and you were like, I feel pretty good about the Sacramento Kings? Probably 18-19 with Jaeger. Yeah. And before that, I mean, 06. Yeah. <laughs> so it's – Feeling pretty good as a Kings fan still here in February. So thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.